Well, turn in your Bible, if you would, today over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll begin as we continue our series, Secure Forever. And this is our second week on the danger of the teaching of the perseverance of the saints. The danger of the teaching of the perseverance of the saints. Now, what is the teaching of the perseverance of the saints? Well, for those of you who haven't been with us, it is the teaching that if you're born again, if you're saved, that you will automatically live a faithful life until the end of your life. And uh, they say, now, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be faithful. They never can define that. And of course, it just brings confusion. And if you ever fail to be faithful, and if you were to die in the condition, in a backslidden state, then that is proof in their mind, they say, that you were never saved to begin with. That is the teaching of the perseverance of the saints. And uh, that is a false teaching. Now, it is one that is very much embraced by people, not just Calvinists, per se, self-proclaimed Calvinists, but it's also, um, there are many Baptists who hold to that theology as well. Those who should actually know better, but they still hold to it. It says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, I figured this is a good place to start. Paul says this, he says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The word unspeakable means indescribable. Now, if you read that verse, you cannot imagine Paul doing this when it comes to this verse. You can't imagine him penning it this way. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Listen, this guy's probably about to jump out of his skin. And if he wasn't that excited and exuberant at that point when he wrote this, he may have written it instead with tears running down his face. To realize the greatness of the grace of God, to realize what God had done for him in saving him eternally, to realize that according to what he wrote in Romans, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, folks, salvation should be something that we delight in. Salvation should be something that we are thrilled about. To know that you are saved forever, that you have eternal life, that you will never come into condemnation, that is the most wonderful truth you could ever know in this world. I can remember when I got saved, and, and I mean, it, this just so gripped me, being saved by grace and, and having eternal life and knowing it based on the word of God. I was so excited about it. And I can remember there were family members who would hear it and, and they would say, well, you know, he'll get over it one of these days. He'll get over it. Almost like, you know, I'd come into uh, mental instability or something on this. Well, guess what? I still must be crazy because I haven't gotten over it. And uh, you don't really uh, get over it, okay? It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. We should delight in it. We should be excited about it. Now, what have we already seen in this mini-series within our series? Well, number one, the false teaching of perseverance. Why is it dangerous? Well, number one, the false teaching of perseverance tries to deny the fact that man has the ability to choose. You might say, how does that go together? See, this is a fundamental problem. And by the way, it is rooted in what we call Calvinism. The idea that everything has been foreordained by God. God decides everything. No matter what you do, it was in the plan of God for you to do that, or he had you do it. The idea is you don't have a will of your own, that you don't make choices 
of your own. And so uh, even according to Calvinism, you don't even have the ability to choose Jesus Christ the Savior on your own, that you have to be captured by the irresistible grace of God to where you don't have a choice and you can't resist it. And therefore you will trust Christ because God chose you to trust Christ. Calvinism teaches that. That is false. That is false. And there are lots of scriptures that prove it. Simple, clear Bible verses. But see, then it goes over further. And while there are those who reject the idea that you don't have a choice of whether you trust Christ the Savior, they embrace, these people come along, and then they embrace the idea, well, once you're saved, you don't have a choice whether you're going to serve the Lord as a Christian. Now, let me say this. If you've trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, you ought to be living your life for Jesus Christ. The Bible's clear. We're not ashamed of that. It's what the Bible teaches. And if you are born again, if you're a saved person, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, and you don't think you ought to live for Christ or that God expects you to live for him, you are sadly mistaken. And I'm not sure what you're reading in the scriptures. Now, here's the point though. Whether you live for Christ or not has no bearing on whether you're going to go to heaven or not. Because that's the gift of God and it's not of works lest any man should boast. The second danger, the false teaching of perseverance cannot be true for we as Christians are specifically commanded to do many things in scripture. You see, if we would automatically do the right things, then there would be no need for God to tell us to do the right things, right? Do we get that? The Bible could be a whole lot thinner, maybe one or two pages. That's all, that's all. But we are told in scripture, many times we are told to yield to present, to forsake, to deny, to commit, to reject, to flee, to put off, to put on, as well, by the way, is to persevere. Now, if it was automatic, why tell us to do it if it's automatic? No, it's not automatic. We have to be told because we have the free will to choose whether we're going to go in the right direction or not. Now that's where we left off, but let's move on. Number three, the false teaching of perseverance undermines, undermines, and boy, folks, I cannot emphasize this enough. The false teaching of the perseverance of the saints undermines any clear basis for the assurance of salvation. You see, the only real basis for knowing you're going to heaven, knowing that you have the assurance of salvation is the unchanging word of God. This is the only basis. Everything else, I don't care what it is, everything else fluctuates. Everything else can change. The Bible is solid. The Bible will not change. The Bible is a book of promises that do not change. Now let us reread with biblical understanding what the apostle John wrote in his epistle. I want you to turn her over to 1 John chapter 5. Now look at the language, incredibly important. You might say, oh yeah, 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 I know these verses. Wait a minute, let me tell you this friends, the assurance of your salvation is based on what God has written in his word. Don't go by whether you feel close to God or not. You know, people say, I know I'm saved, why? Oh, I love the Lord, or I feel close to God, or I I have a warm feeling. Or what's really scary is if somebody says, do I have a burning in my bosom? Because that's Mormon theology, okay? You don't determine truth by whether you have heartburn or not. Come on. (laughs) 1 John chapter 5 and verse 9. 
It says, if we receive the witness of men, in other words, if you're going to believe what man has to say, the witness of God is greater. It's like a weatherman. You're going to believe what the weatherman says? For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. He that believeth on the son of God hath the witness in himself. Now watch this. He that believeth not, you see, believe, believe not. That's the whole issue. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Verse 12, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. Now verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, Jesus, the name means God who is our savior. When you believe on his name, you're trusting in him that he is God who will save you. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look at the next phrase. That you may know, you may know, you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Notice in this passage the basis for our assurance. These things have I written unto you. You can know you have eternal life because God has written it to us that those who believe or trust in Jesus Christ can know that they have eternal life. You can know you're saved. You can know you're going to heaven. Based on what? What has been written in the scriptures. This is the only sure, never changing basis of your salvation. The written word of God. Can we rest on this promise or not? Let me ask you a question. Can you rest on that promise? Yes, you can rest on that promise. Why? Because God can't lie. Do you see that in verse 10? If you don't believe, you're calling God a liar. Oh, I would never do that. Well, won't you trust in Jesus Christ as a Savior? He'll give you eternal life. Well, I don't know if he will or not. You're calling God a liar. He said he would. He said if you trust in his son, you can know you have eternal life. Do you know it? Well, I don't know. I I don't really feel, now there's a problem. You don't base your theology on how you feel. Frankly, some days you're gonna feel better than others and I got news for you. You're gonna have more days when you don't feel so great as you get older. Now you're really in trouble. (laughs) Can we rest on the promise or not? Yes. To not rest on it is to call God a, a liar. Yet many proponents of the perseverance of the saints teach that you can never know for certain that you are saved. Many of them actually teach it. Many of them will actually say it of themselves. I am not 100% sure I'm going to heaven when I die. However, the Bible says you can know. Now, here's a question for you. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God who can't make a mistake, who knows everything, who has the power to save and keep saved? Are you going to believe him? He's put it in writing. Are you going to believe what he says or not? Or are you going to believe some theologian because he's got a half of an alphabet after his name? You figure, well, he must be right because he's got half of an alphabet after his name. See, folks, here's the issue. The reason these people can't know they're going to heaven when they die, the reason they think they can't know, the reason they don't know is because they're looking at the way they live as the basis of whether they're going to make it or not. Now, while they may deny this, that is works for salvation. 
because you're looking at man's works as the basis on whether you're going to make it or not. Do we see that? Do we see the clarity of this? This is so incredibly important. And this is no different, by the way, than what the cults believe, because they believe in works for salvation. Now, let me, let me say, friend, how can you know? How can you know? Well, look up here. Let me just very quickly show you this. Let this hand represent you and me. Let this wallet represent our sin. Here we are. We are sinners. We all have sin on us. I think we would all admit that. I'm a sinner just like you are. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. See, we're separated from God. You cannot go to heaven with even one sin because heaven's a perfect place. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless and none of us are. Therefore, we're disqualified. No matter how hard you try or how many good works you do, it will not take away the sin. There's not one verse in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation that says, if you work hard or live a faithful life, you'll make it to heaven. There's not one. Not one that says it'll take away your sin. To go to heaven, you have to have your sin gone. God says if we are going to pay for our sin, we'd have to die and spend forever separated from God in hell. God doesn't want that for you and me. It's not by our works that we're saved. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, God himself took on flesh. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus came into this world, he lived a perfect life. He's sinless. He went to the cross for the express purpose of taking my sin and your sin upon himself and making the complete payment, leaving us nothing to pay for. And then he rose from the grave to prove it was dead. And he says in his word this, that if you will believe or trust in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed of all your sin and he gives you everlasting life. Now, if you had no sin, could you go to heaven? Yes, you'd be sinless in the eyes of God. Now, that's what we call the good news. That's what we call the gospel. However, in reviewing an earlier quote, here's the contrast of what we've just covered. And again, I'm not, when I quote people, I'm not attacking their character, okay? I don't know these people personally. I'm just going by what they put in print. So please don't think I'm trying to cause a controversy with the individual. I'm not. It's the teaching that's the issue. But here it is. This is written by uh, John Piper, and his staff. And he says this, quote, we mean that the saints will and must persevere in obedience, which comes from faith. Election is unconditional, but glorification is not. Now think of that. That's a frontal attack on the sufficiency of our salvation, what Christ provided. He goes on, there are many warnings in scripture that those who do not hold fast to Christ can be lost in the end. He continues, nevertheless, we must also own up to the fact that our final salvation is made contingent upon the subsequent obedience, which comes from faith, unquote. Now, I didn't say that. He and his staff said that. This is right off of their website. And it is in context, by the way. See, folks, I have a serious problem with that because the truth of it is he's basing that on works. You're not saved by works. He's saying you can't know unless you live a faithful life to the end whether you're going to make it or not. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you believe in Christ that he's your savior, that he paid for all your sins and rose from the grave, you can know you have eternal life. That's what God says. This is not a small issue. 
Because if you are trusting in the way you live to get you to heaven, you're not going to go, dear friend. You're not going to go based on that. We tell you, I'm sharing this with you because we care. We want you to put your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior because he is the only one. Peter said in Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. See this idea that you have to be obedient to the end of your life. Is this not shifting sand? How obedient do you need to be? That's a fair question. How obedient do you need to be? How good is good? How much sin in my life is proof that I was never saved? How much sin or how much purity does there need to be in my life to prove that I am saved? How much victory do I need in my life to prove I'm saved? If I am defeated as a Christian for a a period of time, if I am defeated as a Christian, should I doubt that I'm saved? You know, there are a lot of people who say, yes, you should doubt whether you're saved or not. Then let me ask you this, dear friend. Are you sure you're saved? Well, I think so. Based on what? Well, you know, I go to church. I've been baptized. I I read my Bible every day. I give money. I give. So wait a minute. Do you understand what you just told me? Do you understand what you just told me? You said you believe you're saved and you're going to heaven because you're doing good works. It's what you just said. I don't say that to cause an argument. I say that because I care. That is scary. The teaching of perseverance is like a fog that rolls in and clouds up the Christian life. People get excited when they trust Christ as Savior, and they're pumped, and then they get under false teaching, and the fogs are, oh, well, I thought I was saved, but they're telling me if I don't do this certain thing, I'm not, or if I still have this desire, I'm not, or if I don't do this, and if I do that, I'm not. I need to question, then you don't know whether you're saved or not. What happened to 1 John 5, 13? Years ago, uh, the second year of our marriage, we lived in Orange Park, Florida. We had moved there. It's just outside of Jacksonville. Nice place to live, by the way. We moved there, and um, we went there to start a church, and we were there for a year. God had different plans, and that's right after that year is when he called us up here to start the ministry here. 1981 is when it happened. But in the meantime, while we were down there, because we didn't have people coming out, we were both working secular jobs, and I worked pest control. I know that's everybody's love. Everybody has always wanted to be somebody involved in pest control. You might say, I'd never want to be an exterminator. Careful. Don't call it an exterminator. That's a misnomer. You can control them. You'll never exterminate them. That's the truth. Those of you who've ever lived in Florida, you know the truth of that. Hey, by the way, count your blessings you live in Minnesota. I know we got Asian beetles and box elder bugs. That's nothing compared to a big palmetto bug crawling onto your counter in the kitchen and then you go to kill it and it flies right at you. I don't know why they fly at you, but they do. Anyways, here's the point. I would go on my route, and, and to be honest with you, it gave me great opportunities to share the gospel with lots of people, led several to Christ, but I would go out on my route. One of the routes that I had, because Orange Park is right on the St. John's River, and so there was this big bridge that went over the St. John's, and it went from Orange Park into Jacksonville. And so I would get on the, on the bridge that one day a month, 
my first accounts were in Jacksonville. I would try to go there, get those done, and then work my way back to the office. And so I remember times, it didn't happen all the time, but it was a kind of a freaky thing. I would get on the bridge going over the St. John's and the fog had not lifted yet. And there I am driving in my little Ford Courier truck, going over, going over, and as I'm going over, the fog starts coming in. And all of a sudden, I am driving completely blind. I don't know whether I'm up, whether I'm low, whether I'm further. I, I, I don't know. I'm just hoping no one has stopped. And I keep looking, keep looking at the sides of the road. Now, it didn't happen very often, but it happened a couple times. And you see, what does that do? It gives you anxiety. It makes you feel insecure. It's very troubling. And guess what? When the false teaching of the perseverance of the saints comes into your life, you know what it does? It makes you feel insecure, it's very troubling, and it's very bothersome. And you don't know what's going on. Very tense, very tense. Listen, this is not a good idea. As a matter of fact, this false doctrine is exactly that. It is false. It is false. This error, by the way, is the very concept that I was told by a Catholic priest when I was nine years old. I can remember as a nine-year-old boy, fourth grade, I can remember one day there was the priest, and I just had some different things going through my mind. And so I went up to him one day, it was before school, and I said, Father, of course, Catholic, you call the minister Father. And I said, Father, how can I be sure of going to heaven? He said, be good. I said, How good do I have to be? He said, you'll just know when you've been good enough. Now listen, folks. Anybody who does not believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that is in their theology. How good do I have to be? How will I know that I've been faithful enough? If they think at all, it has to run through their mind. Look with me to 1 John. You're in 1 John 5. Go back to chapter 3 for just a moment. This uncertainty continued in my life until I was 19 years old. When I was 19 years old, I finally understood what the Bible said about how I could know for sure I'm going to heaven, and we already read it. Jesus died on the cross, paid for all my sins, and rose from the grave. I cannot earn my way to heaven because I have to be perfect, and I'm not. Therefore, I'm disqualified. Therefore, if I'm going to be saved, somebody outside of me has to do the saving. And that's Jesus And when I understood that at age 19, it clicked and it made sense to me and I put my faith in Jesus Christ the Savior and I knew that I had eternal life the very night I trusted Christ. Why? Because of 1 John 5, 13, it said I could know and I believe God. See, I was taught as a Catholic that God is God, Jesus is the Savior, and the Bible's the word of God. That's what I was taught. But I also was taught that you had to be good and live a faithful life to get there. That's works for salvation, and that is not what the Bible teaches. Look at 1 John 3. It says this. You know, this idea you can't know for sure until you die. Now, watch this. Now, number one, 1 John 5, 13 takes care of that, right? But look at 1 John 3, 1. Behold, John writes, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, the us there are believers, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Watch verse two. Beloved, 
What's the next word? Now are we the sons of God? Now how can you say that unless salvation is based on what Christ did, not on how I live? Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What do those, what do those verses teach us? The assurance of salvation. Now are we the sons of God. I don't have to wonder if I'm a son of God or not because of the way I live. I can know now because I've trusted in Christ. And he promised if I trust in him, I'm saved. Now are we the sons of God. See, John was either boasting or he had taken the Lord at his promise. And as a result, he had the assurance of salvation. Take the Lord at his promise and you can be sure you're going to heaven. It was not based on his perseverance. It was based on the promise of the Savior. By the way, this would also hold true every time we were see the word saint used in scripture when referring to believers who were living at the time. What do I mean by that? In other words, how can you recognize someone as a saint unless our salvation is based on what Jesus Christ has done for us and not based on our faithfulness or our perseverance? How could you know you're a saint? The only way you can know you're a saint is if the saving of your soul and the keeping of your soul is in someone else's care. Romans chapter one, it says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called, literally, called, and then it says here to be, the words to be there is italicized in the Greek. It means it's not there in the original. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, literally, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And by the way, all the epistles have this in them. They're called saints. They're saints. They're saints. How can you call somebody a saint if they haven't lived their life yet? Well, because sainthood is not based on how you live. Sainthood is based on what Christ has done for you. 2 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Wait a minute. All the saints. You're saying that there's a bunch of people who are saints and they're alive as you're writing this. Now, how can that be true if you have to be faithful to the end of your life to find out whether you're saved or not? Are you following today? This is big. I hope you're following. See, the truth is, if you are honest, you can never be sure of your salvation by looking at yourself. Never. We as human beings regularly commit sin. It's not something we should be proud of. It's not something we should want to do, but we do it. Any sin that we regularly struggle with in our lives would be practicing sin. Yeah, you hear preacher after preacher after preacher say, if you're practicing sin, you're probably not saved. Well, we all practice sin. Well, I don't want to hear that. Well, you need to hear it because it's true. Don't try to run and hide from this. Let me give you some examples of such sins that Christians commit regularly. See, you know what we want to do? We want to think of the, quote unquote, the biggies. Oh, he's a drunk, or he's a thief, or he's this, or he's that. They always look at sins of commission. They never look at sins of omission. Sins of omission condemn every single one of us. 
Let me give you some examples. Pride. Pride. You know, there are a lot of people who live in pride. A lot of Christians who live in pride. A lot of churches have people in them who live in pride. They're proud people. And all that means is you think more of yourself than you ought to. Or you think you're better than someone else. Or you compare yourself to other people. Or you think you're self-sufficient when as a Christian, our lives should be Christ-sufficient. It's pride if you think you can handle life. That's pride. That's practicing sin. How about lust? We live in a lust-crazed society today. It's everywhere you look. How about envy? How about jealousy? Here's one. How about gossip? Gossip. How about selfishly and grudgingly uh, contributing to the local church? In other words, yeah, you give, but you don't want to give, but you give because we pass a plate. How about this? You don't give. And the reason you don't give is because you're a cheapskate, but you don't give, okay? There are a lot of Christians today, they call it grace giving, and usually what they mean by that really is this. I don't give unless I feel like it. Oh, that's a good way to live your life as a Christian. You living by your feelings. How about systematic giving? The Bible teaches that, by the way. How about anger? Anger. There's a lot of angry Christians. I say, well, that's an attitude. Yes, and it's an attitude that God says is a sin. How about anger? How about idolatry in the form of covetousness? How about materialism? You live for material stuff. You want stuff. That's why you live your life, okay? The bigger this, the bigger that, more of this, the new one of these and all these. That's what drives you. That's why you get an extra job. That's why you do this and do that because of materialism. Isn't that a sin? Yes, that's a sin. That's idolatry. How about husbands not loving their wives as Christ loved the church? How many of us are guilty of that, men? All of us. You might say, well, no, I do a pretty good job on that. Pretty good is not the same as us loving our wives as Christ loved the church. That's present tense. It's continual. How about wives not submitting to their husbands unless they want to? See, folks, each of these sins that we practice could easily fit under one final category of practicing sins, and it is this, Committing sins of omission. In other words, not doing what we are supposed to do. Let me tell you something. Our lives as Christians are full of sins of omission. Now, if you're going to be honest with God, then the truth of it is this. We stand guilty and condemned. And you might as well quit looking at the way you live because if you're going to measure whether you're good enough to get to heaven or not, I can tell you right now you're not and neither am I. Let me show you another verse on this. Go with me to James chapter four. It says this in verse 17. Now think about this. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Look at that. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. An opportunity comes your way to do good. You know it's an opportunity. And yet we don't do the thing we know we should do. God says you just sinned. And if you keep doing that, what are we doing? We're sinning, 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 sinning. You know, it's very interesting. Now, I would appreciate this as a preacher because that's what I do. Those who proclaim this idea of, well, you know, you can sin, but you can't practice sin. And, you know, if you're more good than bad as a Christian, you know, you'll probably make it and all, all this kind of stuff. These very people are preaching a false gospel, which is a sin. It's one of the most serious things of all. And yet they would say, 
You know, years ago, a famous evangelist, I remember him saying, he says, I sin, but I don't practice sin. And I thought, you practice sin every time you preach the gospel because you're preaching a false gospel of works. Now listen, friend, practicing sin is not going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. Trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior from sin is going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. How about this one? The sin of omission of not witnessing to the lost. Now listen to me on this. Don't tune me out on this, please. How many Christians fail to obey the command to witness when they have clear opportunities on a regular basis? Is there any Christian in this room you could say, I never pass an opportunity? Not a one of us. It's been estimated that 90 to 95% of Christians never lead one person to Christ in their entire lifetime. And yet what does God say? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And yet Christians aren't witnessing, even when they have opportunity. Listen, that's practicing sin. Oh, you must not be saved then. No, no, no. You're saved by faith in Christ, not by doing something right or not doing something wrong. That's works. You know, I have, over the years, I have counseled many people in terrible despair. I cannot count the number of emails I have received from people who are neurotic, who are suicidal, who are besides themselves because they are looking at their performance as the determining factor on whether they're going to make it to heaven or not. There's no wonder, because there's no certainty there. They have been taught that the source of their assurance was their good works. And yet as humble people, they knew they fell short and therefore they doubted their salvation. Many to the point of deep depression, sleepless nights, crying, fear, institutions, mental institutions. You don't think this is serious? This is serious. And yet Jesus said these things, have, or the word of God says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus said, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. Jesus says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and the one that cometh to me I will in no wise and no way cast out. I should lose nothing. I'll raise him up again at the last day. What comfort, what blessing and joy that is. And then man comes along and tries to mess it up by his false teachings. See, many sincere people have heard over and over since their childhood statements from the pulpit at camps in other meetings, stuff like this. If you're not having personal devotions, you need to check whether you're saved or not. If you're not witnessing regularly, you're probably not saved. If you're not serving as you should be in your church, you're probably not saved. If you're not giving the way you should, you're probably not saved. Now, by the way, all those things are good things to do, but you're basing your salvation on what you do or what you don't do. That is not how you're saved. John chapter five, two more verses. John chapter 5, both of them, well, one of them and John. Look at the language, friend. Look at the certainty in the word of God. Would you do that? John 5, 24, verily, verily, Jesus said, that means truly, truly. We would say today, I really mean this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he 
he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, possesses now everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. There you go. You believe, you won't come into condemnation, but Jesus says you have passed. Present, or by the way, not present tense, perfect tense. Perfect tense means it's something accomplished that never needs to be redone. It's like what Jesus said when he hung on the cross. He said, it is finished, paid in full, never having to be done again. You shall not come, you've passed from death unto life. Romans 3.28 says this, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, without good works. The deeds of the law, the commandments. Friend, you cannot go to heaven by trying to keep the commandments because you're going to fail. God knows we're failures. That's why he sent us a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I urge you today, I plead with you, I plead with you, If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you put your faith in him today? If you will do that based on the word of God, you can know that you have eternal life. You can know it. Would you trust in him? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much and God bless you.